Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys. Uh, I love uh, hearing from our senior pastor, and I love those stories because most of them were about Costa Mesa, and we're the best. I'm just kidding. Every, every family has a favorite kid, and we're the favorite uh, kid of South Hills Church family. Can you just claim that as a kid? Can you say, like, yeah, obviously I'm the favorite one. Uh, we are the best. No, I'm just kidding. Jeez, Chris, what a strong start. Uh, no, it's a great story. Uh, those are great stories because um, there was so much uh, impact and so many things changed in people's lives, not just for a day, but uh, there's an eternity impact. These people trusting God with their lives, taking the step of getting baptized, and it happened because of an invitation. Each one of those stories was related to somebody not quoting a bunch of Bible verses, not understanding every theological question or all that kind of stuff, just saying, hey, Will you come with me? Come check out my church. Come sit with me. Come be a part of this event with me. And that alone was enough. The, the power of an invitation uh, is, a, is an incredible thing. And today we're talking about the power of words. We've been in this series called Wordplay. Uh, we started it last week, and we're going to continue that today. Um, having kids is an adventure, especially as they kind of get older and start having more personalities and uh, learning and growing vocabularies and all these things. You never really know what's going to happen or be said at any given moment. Um, I have a seven-year-old and an 11-year-old, and my older son reads constantly. And so because of that, and because he's always read like way above his grade level, he just he has a vocabulary that is impressive. Uh, and um, you never really know what he's going to say, and they're both also getting really smart in how they set up and execute jokes. Uh, there's just like constant uh, burns happening at our uh, in our home. Uh, a few weeks ago, we uh, we were driving somewhere. I don't remember where it was, but my son was like, "Man, I just you know I love libraries because they're just full of these ancient books." I was like, that's really cool, bud. You know, it's like, I love that my kid loves to read. He's like, yeah, some of these books were written, uh, written in like 1982. <laughs> and then just like slowly turns to look at me because he knows I was born in 1982. <laughs> and he's just like really trying to make a point about how old I guess I am getting. And I was like, okay, like, haha, real funny. You know, it's like one and done. We move on from it. Uh, a couple of days later, we were riding bikes, and um, we live over kind of by Newport Harbor High School. And so we were riding by, and on the sign, it has like when it was founded. And he's like, Dad, that school is as old as you are. And I was like, buddy, that sign says it was founded in 1930. He's like, is that not the year you were born? Which I know he knows the answer, because he just made a joke about the year I was born the day before. So it's just like, dude, chill out with the age jokes. I get it. Um, no, but, you know, words, uh, words have power. And whether we are joking, I, I, probably all of us have made a joke or a sarcastic comment that didn't quite uh, go the way we wanted it to go. It's like, I thought it was funny. I'm sorry that you're crying now. Uh, we, 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 have, uh, we have a lot of power in the things that we say. Uh, they carry a lot of weight. Our lives have been shaped by words. Uh, the, the way that words have been said to us 
the things that have been spoken over us, the things that have been said about us. We could probably all maybe think of some things. And the sad reality is a lot of the things that we're thinking of were actually hurtful things. It's so much harder for us to release hurtful words than it is to remember kind words. Uh, I think I shared this maybe last week, but I've read articles and there's different numbers, but uh, most people say that it takes five positives to replace or outweigh every one negative. Um, And and so the reality is, is that there are words that have been said to us or about us or over us. And it's not just over the last few days or the last few years. I mean, some of these things have shaped us since we were young, since we were kids. Something a teacher or a parent or a coach or, or a random stranger said about us or to us. It has a lasting impact. Words have so much power. And not all words are weighted the same. Some words mean more to us than other words. Some words carry more kind of cutting edges than other words say. Uh, we, We receive these things differently. And then to complicate things even more, the people that are saying the words are not all weighted the same. What your mother or your father says to you is different than what a stranger says to you, is different than a coach, than a, than a pastor, than a friend, than a coworker. All of these things, they all weight themselves differently. And so we are just living in this kind of existence of humanity and talking with each other and communicating. And we are saying things to people and people are saying things to us. And obviously the hope is that we are kind and affirming and encouraging. And, and the reality is oftentimes that we just don't pay much attention to the words that we're saying. And so I would like for my son to come up and give me an apology in front of, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Our lives are shaped by Words And nobody was more passionate about the topic of our words, in the scriptures at least, than a man named James. James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. And so in the New Testament, a lot of the, the scriptures in the New Testament were written as letters. And James wrote a letter, and it's called James. Very creative. And a lot of what he talks about in this letter that he wrote to an early church was actually about the power of words. In James chapter 3, it starts off this way. Well, in verse 2, we'll start there. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Nobody else wants to agree with that one? Okay. You're like, yes, Chris, you do. Um, He says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And I just want to pause there for a second because I I think he's making a point and I don't know. I read sarcasm into a lot of scriptures, which I don't know if is the appropriate thing. But it's like anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, essentially saying we all are imperfect. None of us get this right all the time. He's saying if you can control your words perfectly, then your entire body is perfect. Essentially, you couldn't possibly do anything wrong. If you have the ability to control your words, then you have more control than anybody else. He's making a point. He goes on and he says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Um, And then in the next passage, he goes on and he says, uh, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire 
a world of evil among the parts of the body. And it's interesting because he's, he's kind of continues to draw this point about like you know, what we say, the words we use, it actually impacts the whole body, not in a physical sense. But I mean, you guys have heard the, the phrase like your mouth has gotten you into trouble. <laughs> like if you say something terrible at work, they don't fire your mouth. They fire you. If you say something hurtful to a loved one or a spouse or a partner or a friend, uh, they're not angry at your mouth. There, there's this deeper connection. It, it's all tied together. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. Again, this idea, it's not just about the words. It's actually the words say something about your entire humanity. And it sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Uh, in a very like Baptist preacher, like get a rag out to wipe up the sweat type of thing. But what he's saying, he's not talking about an eternal torment. He's, he's talking about this idea that this, uh, the, the pain that is caused, the damage that can be done by the things that we say, it's ultimately it's triggered and it's caused because of sin and it's the enemy's plan. Jesus talked about Satan and he said that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if you start to think about what words can do, it's all three of those things. Words can steal the hope that someone has, the confidence that someone has, the, the dreams that someone might be holding onto for their lives. Words can take that. It can, we can use our words to, to cut people down, to, to cause such significant pain. It may not physically kill them, but what is the damage that we're doing, the, the death that we're speaking into their life and to destroy the the, the hopes, the, the goals, the relationships, words, words can be used to cause massive amounts of pain in our relationships. I love he talks about this idea of the rudder, this one of the illustrations that he uses. A rudder on a ship is able to, to you know, the small little piece is able to control the entire boat. He says, words are like a rudder. Um, Yesterday, we had a men's breakfast, which was awesome. We had like 40 guys come and hang out, and I talked for a little bit, and we ate a bunch and hung out, and it was a great time. But uh, I, I kind of gave this example about a, a boat, and I'm giving a different example about a boat today. And I don't know why I'm on a boat kick, but uh, if anybody has a boat and is looking to take it out this week, just let me know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But, uh, but there's this idea of this rudder. I was listening to a podcast about three or four weeks ago, and this guy was talking about this idea of rudders. And what James says is that our words are like the rudder. Our words can steer an entire ship. They can make this massive difference. And this guy on this podcast was talking about how these massive ocean liners, these massive ships, how it takes a lot for these boats to actually turn. And oftentimes, it's almost impossible. It's really difficult. You can't just turn the rudder and see the entire thing, the entire ship turn. And so they invented something. It's called a trim tab. And they're used in different ways in different kind of boats. But a lot of these massive ocean liners, they have like a miniature rudder attached to the bigger rudder. And they turn the small one first, and then it makes it possible to turn the rest of the rudder, which then turns this entire massive ocean liner. And so words are a rudder, but I think, as I've been thinking through this and what we're talking about today, it's not just the words, it's also the way that we speak. It's the tone that we speak in. It's our facial expressions. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody have a hard time controlling their face? 
Our faces have deceived all of us once or twice. They have sold us out. There's so much more than just the words alone. And so if the words are the rudder that's able to turn an entire ship, maybe the, the way that we use our words, the way that we talk is like that trim tab, that smaller rudder that makes everything even more impactful. The way we show up in conversations is a massive thing. And other people's ability to receive your words has a lot to do with how you say them. The right thing said in the wrong way is the wrong thing. All throughout the scriptures, all throughout Jesus' teachings, there is this idea over and over and over again about the love that we bring into our conversations, into the way we serve, into the way we connect, into the way that we show up. And there is a reality for us that the way we say things has a massive impact on people's ability to actually hear it to embrace it, to understand it. Again, we have all, I'm sure, I know that I have, we've all said things that maybe we just, it, it wasn't that what we said was technically wrong, but the way that we said it didn't help anybody. It did not help anybody. In fact, it may have done damage, gotten us into trouble. We can all think of a time when someone said something in a way that was hurtful. And it may not be that what they were saying was intended to be hurtful, but the tone, again, the, the way that we show up, the body language, all of these things play into this idea. And it's important for us to recognize that the words we say are massively important, but the way that we say them is also an important thing. There's a story in the Old Testament uh, scriptures that kind of illustrates this. Uh, it's a story about Moses after he's led... Uh, Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And we talked about this a little bit a few months ago. Uh, Israel was enslaved for hundreds of years, and they were building Pharaoh's you know, uh, world, essentially, and it was constant work. And it was work all the time. There was no breaks. There was no rest. And it wasn't just, here's what you need to do the work. They often were made to do the work with less resources, with less tools than they needed to be able to do it. And it was just constant go, go. They weren't allowed to worship in the ways that they wanted to worship. I mean, there was, it was as brutal as you can imagine. And Moses uh, comes in, and, and God uh, tells Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt, and, and you will end up in the promised land. And so Moses does this, and there's about 400,000 Israelites that uh, people say that left Egypt. And uh, they don't make it straight to the promised land. They, they end up in the wilderness for a while. And uh, they quickly start complaining about everything, um, which as a dad, uh, I've been on road trips before. And it, you know, it doesn't take long for my kids to start complaining or asking for snacks or whatever it is, and I get very frustrated very quickly. Road trips is one thing, but what really upsets me is when it's like, oh, we just have to drive to the grocery store, and we sit down. They're like, uh, can you turn on the TV, and did you bring me a snack, and I could use like a shoulder rub, and it's just like, are you, seriously, we're going to be in here for a couple minutes? There's just like this complaining and this lack of trust and this frustration and this anger. And so in this story in November, or I'm sorry, in November, in Numbers chapter 20, uh, it says, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. 
There's like this sense of frustration and anger that they were just like, man, things were better before. Over and over again, they said these types of things. I wish that we were still in slavery. At least then we had meat to eat. I mean, they would, they would complain about everything. And, and I'm not trying to minimize. I mean, they were in the wilderness. They were lost. It was hot. They needed water. So there's legitimate things here. But this was an ongoing thing that Moses, it just it, it angered and frustrated Moses so much. And, and Moses starts off doing the right thing. In verse 7, it says, the Lord said to Moses, because Moses went and asked God what he should do, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. So Moses starts off the right way. He goes like, okay, God, how should I handle this? What should I do? And the Lord says, go speak to the rock and water will flow out for all of them, for all of their livestock. And so Moses takes the staff and he goes out. And uh, there's obviously, I think, even though he wanted to do the right thing and, and he was trying to pursue the right thing and say the right thing, I think that there was still some anger and frustration and angst kind of boiling underneath. Because in verse 10, it goes on and it says, he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, (laughs) must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. So they got the water that they needed But there's a big gap between the Lord saying, speak to the rock and water will flow from it. And Moses is taking some like freedoms with the message, getting out a little bit of extra frustration. You know, there's adding in a couple like touch of his own preference and his own feelings, his own angst, his own frustration. It's not that necessarily what he said was totally off. The way that he said it, the way he showed up was a a, a significant difference from what God had told him to do. There's consequences. It cost him. In verse 12, it tells us, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron after that, because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. It's interesting God says to him, it's because you didn't trust me. There's like this weird piece about like the justice and the anger and the frustration that we feel like a little bit, like we need to be able to make sure that people know how they're acting, how they're showing up, what they did, the pain that was caused, whatever it might be. There's kind of this weird piece and there's like a trust aspect that God says, I I told you what to say and you didn't trust me and just say that thing. There was a consequence that showed up. The method that Moses used, the way he spoke, it distorted God's heart in that moment. It it distorted, it didn't represent who God was in that moment. Moses was trusted to speak on behalf of God, and that picture got really murky in that space. Not necessarily because of the specificity of what was said, but how Moses spoke to them. God takes seriously what we say to each other and and how we say it. I think oftentimes much more seriously than we do. 
We underestimate the consequences of our, our conversations, our words, and, and the impact of the way that we speak. Solomon was one of the wisest kings, and he said it this way in Proverbs 15. He said, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's this reality for us, and we know that this is true. There's gentleness that oftentimes it diffuses anger. I worked in, uh, I mean, I had a lot of jobs, you guys, for over a long time. But I worked at In-N-Out for a few years, and I got so many crazy stories from people at In-N-Out. And in all the training, they would tell us, like, you know, when you are kind and gracious to people, it quickly disarms them. When they're angry and they're frustrated and whatever it is, if you are kind and generous to them, they quickly, it, it just takes away the, the tenseness of those conversations. And it happened that way almost all the time. <laughs> it was mostly true. There was one time where a guy threw a cheeseburger at my coworker, though. But that's a different story for a different sermon. Um, <laughs> But there's this reality that gentle words, they, they do something inside other people. They do something inside their heart, inside their mind. But you know, when we use harsh words, when we show up and we're not paying attention to the way that we're speaking, it, it does something. It has the inverse or adverse effect. And then Paul in Ephesians, he said, instead, we will speak the truth in what? In love. And that will allow us to grow in every way more and more like Christ. He doesn't say, we'll speak the truth and grow more like Christ. Speak the truth in love and we will grow more like Christ. And it's really easy and really common for us to say, for other people to say, well, I just said the truth. I'm sorry it upset them. It's like, well, that's not actually what we're called to do. We're called to speak the truth in love. We're called to show up in a different way. It's not just the words that we're using. It's actually the way that we're using them. It's the, the, the love that we're communicating with in these relationships. Our ability to receive the words from others and their ability to hear what we have to say has so much to do with how we say those words. It's not just enough that they're true. We need to wonder, are they spoken in love? Am I showing up? Am I speaking? Am I delivering this in the right way? Am I communicating in the right way? And there's a big difference between telling someone the truth because you love them and telling someone the truth in a loving way. And I, I miss this all the time. I, I think there's not too many Sundays that go by that I don't tell you guys, I'm not preaching because I have this figured out. I don't pick these topics because they're the ones that I'm good at. I pick these topics because we spend time each year talking about what are the things that we are learning? What are the things that we need to learn? What are the ways we need to grow? And this area is a massive one for me. There are so many times for me, and it shows up, I think, primarily for me with my sons, that because I love them, I want them to be healthy or to act right, <laughs> which is my favorite thing. Would you just act right? <laughs> like, please, like me, I act right. You know, I do things the right way all the time, you know, just kidding in case that was unclear. But there's like this frustration that happens and it's because I love them and I'm very truthful with them. And in those moments, a lot of times I'll either kind of feel myself, the face that I'm making and I'll realize like, this is not a loving face that I'm making. Sometimes I'll see like my wife in the background, just like, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Uh, she's never said that to me, but 
but there's like this awareness of, well, it's not that what I'm saying is actually wrong, but I just, I lose the patience or I get frustrated because I said it a thousand times, which I think is what Moses felt in that moment. It's like, how many times has God shown up and provided and cared and, and you just can't get it? Why can't you do it right? I've said it a million times and he's done it a million times. And it literally feels like a conversation that I have had a million times with my own kids. And it's not that what I'm saying is always untrue, but the way that I'm speaking, oftentimes, I just don't have the patience or the gentleness. I'm not doing it in love, and they are unable to hear the truth because something is communicating louder. Dad is disappointed, disgusted, bothered, unable to spend the time with. Whatever it is, that's not what I want to communicate but they're unable to hear my words because of the way that I'm showing up, the way that I'm speaking. So last week we talked about um, just a really practical way to think through this idea um, because last week, week one of this series, we talked about the way that we talk to ourselves. This idea that we're always talking to ourselves, we're always thinking and holding ideas in our heads. And, and I don't know, does anybody remember the, the acronym that we talked about last week? SNAP, I heard somebody whisper it. You can be confident. It's okay. It was snap. And we talked about how we, when we start to recognize that we're having these untrue or unne- uh, unhelpful thoughts in our mind and these conversations with ourselves to snap out of it, to, to stop, notice, ask, if, is this true? Is this right? Is this beautiful? Is it good? Is it praiseworthy, et cetera? And then to pivot. P is for pivot. Uh, and so we talked about this idea. And I decided that this week it would be just great of me as a pastor to give you another acronym because I want us to remember these things. It's super important that we're able to figure out how can I practically remember and hold on to these things. I know that I should be loving. You don't have to be a Jesus follower or a theologian or even to know about Christianity to know that you probably should be kind, that you should be loving, that you should be gentle. We know that. But what does it look like for us to actually cross that divide and be loving, to say things in a kind and gentle way? And so, as the great poet and queen of soul says, you have to think. You better think about what you're trying to... Does nobody here listen to Aretha Franklin? Really? Okay, guys, come on. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll have Jamie (laughs) sing it. Let's close out the service. Um, Jamie and Rebecca can handle that better than I can, but I want us to, to think about the things that we're saying, because here's what I believe to be true. Um, there are often times when we react quickly and we don't actually have even a half a second between something happening and what we say. But I think the majority of the time we know we're going to have a conversation, We know when we are going to walk into a meeting at work to talk about how somebody dropped a ball. We know when we're going to talk to our spouse or our roommate about something that was missed, something that was communicated that, you know, they didn't follow up on or or handle the way that they needed to. We know we're going to talk to our kid about the way that they've been acting or, or whatever your relational context is. There's, I think the majority of the time, it's not a momentary reaction piece and we actually have the ability to, to think about what we're going to say. This is actually based off of what we read last week, Philippians 4.8. And so it stands for, is it true? But we know that it's not just truth that matters. It's the truth in love. 
Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And I think that this is something for me, I I saw this uh, earlier on in the week and I was like, man, this is not comfortable for me. Uh, Because oftentimes I, I find myself getting so caught up in wanting to make sure that people know the mistake, that people know that they failed. There's like this justice piece for me that's like, I just need you to know that you did it wrong. I know, it's not very endearing, but it's true. And again, it shows up mostly with my kids. And it's not because I hate them, it's because I love them and I want to help them grow and develop and mature. But the way that I do it is oftentimes not helpful. They're not hearing the truth because it's not coming in love. And so for me, the the most challenging thing in this kind of acronym is, is the necessary. Is it necessary to say this, to point it out? Do they already probably know? Do I need to paint the full picture or play the entire rerun of the situation? And then am I showing up in a kind and a loving way? Am I communicating this in a way? Am I, is my face selling me out? My face is saying one thing while my words may be saying something else. This is a challenge for me. And I think it's so important for us all to embrace this idea because it's not just about whether the words are true. It's also about the way that we are communicating them. God cares about the methodology just as much as the motive. It doesn't matter that I want to help my kids. Well, it matters. But that's not the most important thing. He calls me to do it in a specific way, in a loving way. And again, translate this into any relationship with your friends in your class, with your roommate, with your coworkers, with your employees, with your spouse. What does it look like for us to take a moment to think before we have the conversation? Because it's not just about saying what's true, but it's about speaking the truth in love. And that's what helps us, as it says in Ephesians 4, grow into fullness that Christ has intended for us. It's truth in love. Truth in love. The reality for each of us, as James so kindly pointed out, is that we cannot get this right all the time. The tongue is untamable, as James said. And so we, we are called to put in effort. And there's an aspect for us that the Holy Spirit, actually one of the fruits of the Spirit living inside of us is that it helps us uh, grow in control and grow in self-control. And so we actually have the ability to get better at not saying every thought that we have, not saying every sarcastic comment or every joke or every whatever it might be. We actually have the ability to grow in that. God wants to help us grow in that, but there will be some times when we still miss it. And so even when we try our best to think about the words and the way that we are saying, there will be times when we mess up. Yesterday, one of the things that we did in our uh, guys' breakfast is we uh, interviewed um, a guy from our church named Randy. And Randy's someone that I've admired for years. He's been coming to our church since early on when we were in the cafeteria days. And um, uh, he's a 
great father. He's got adult kids who are married. He's got grandkids. Um, they've been married. Uh, he and his wife have been married for 33 years. Um, and there's just so much about him that I love and that I respect. And, and we got to ask him a bunch of questions. And one of the things that he talked about was uh, specifically with parenting, but it really applies to everything. And, and I think that I want to I want to draw a connection here. He says, you are going to make mistakes. And one of the most important things as a dad in my experience, is actually just circling back and owning the mistake. And that just resonated a lot with me. It's like, it's about owning the mistake and saying, I didn't mean to act this way. I don't want to act this way. I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have responded in that tone or with that action. Circling back and owning it, not giving an excuse, not trying to explain it away, just owning it. And he talked about the impact that that's had on his own family. And, and I think about my family and, and the ways that that would be massively impactful. So what does it look like for us to recognize that the words that we say have power? We need to remember that. Words have a power to speak life or to speak death over others. The words that we use are important. The words, the way that we speak is crucially important. And God cares about the tone that we use. God cares about the love that we bring, the gentleness in those conversations. It's important peace for us to remember that. And then also, in the moments that we blow it, the moments that we mess up, the moments we make a mistake, to circle back and own it. Because those words also matter. It builds trust and relationship in a beautiful way. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.